This episode of Innovations in Education is brought to you by Renkus Hines. Quality audio is crucial to create a productive and engaging learning environment for students, and professors should be able to focus on teaching, not troubleshooting complex technology. At Renkus Hines, their hassle-free loudspeakers consistently deliver crystal clear audio to every corner of the classroom, ensuring every student hears every word. Elevate classroom engagement and learning outcomes with the Renkus Hines Sound Solution. Learn more at RenkusHines.com. Okay, hello, and welcome to another episode of Innovations in Education, eCampus News' podcast on the latest and greatest in higher ed tech this month. I'm your host, Kevin Hogan, and I'm glad you found us. This month, we take a look at the kids, this current crop of undergrads, the customers of higher education. To do that, we're getting into the weeds with Mark McCormick. He's the Senior Director of Research and Insights at Educause and the newly released 2023 Students and Technology Report, Flexibility, Choice, and Equity in the Student Experience. Here's a quote from the report that neatly wraps up the topic. What does it mean to be a student in 2023? On the fading tail end of a global pandemic, and in the midst of lingering uncertainty about the world. What do students still need from a post-secondary education? And where does technology serve as a fulcrum for better and for worse, both opening and closing students' paths forward through their educational journeys? The research team at Educause drew on data from the Educause 2023 Student Survey, which represents 1,951 students from across 10 U.S. institutions to explore some of these questions and offer insights to higher education leaders and decision makers as they consider what these questions might mean at their particular institutions and within their particular communities. Mark does a great job pulling insights from the numbers that would be beneficial for any higher ed professional. I found more than a few surprises in our conversation. Have a listen. Okay, Mark, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate your time and anticipate some great insights. Delighted to be here. You have the distinction of being my very first podcast conversation. So I'm excited about this. I'll take it easy on you. Don't worry. (laughs) Nothing but softballs coming your way. Well, really, but there are a lot of interesting things that we have to discuss that as a result of the recent report, 2023 Students in Technology. Educause always has great research coming out, great data, great insights. I know that we here at eCampus rely upon your academic scholarship and your expertise in the space. Thank you. And I said it in no other aspects of this uh, other than how timely stuff can be as well as you're coming out. And this, this most recent report really is kind of sitting at a spot that I really think is the change that's happening in higher education that I think we all kind of wrung our hands during the pandemic when there was the rush to remote learning and these ideas of hybrid learning were something that were always kind of in the air, but they were really kind of ethereal. And then March 2020 comes and all of a sudden the great beta test of remote learning and hybrid learning and multiple modalities and, that, and the students having a 
it wasn't a choice. It was a forced choice in, into going in to these these new aspects. Talk a little bit about the report and how maybe what you've documented with this is a cultural shift that maybe we've been talking about for years. Yeah, and it's been really fascinating being in the position that we're in at Educause and particularly in, in research. Over the last three years, we've done a number of surveys, whether it's our quick poll surveys, or our student and faculty surveys. And all along the way, we've been able to track this evolution of the, the practice of hybrid uh, high flex online learning. There, there are so many different labels that folks use to describe what's been happening. But of course, you've seen it shift from the early, early days of the pandemic, what we would call that emergency online teaching. It was maybe less focused on, you know, what what are the best practices? And, and you know, we, did, we didn't have the luxury of, of taking that very slow, intentional approach to designing these online learning programs. We just had to dive in and do it. So it's been interesting to track the shift from that to what has become this very planful, very intentional, very structured, organized approach to it. We've been able to track that shift over the last few years, not only in our student survey responses, but also in, in the questions we ask our IT and technology leaders and professionals and how they're approaching it. So for us as, as researchers, and it's interesting too, because we've had to change the ways we ask about it. Years ago, it was a very binary question. Do you prefer face-to-face -face or online teaching or learning? And what we know now is that it's a lot more complicated than that. And even the ways we've asked about it in our surveys have had to change. So that's been interesting to, to track, and it's somewhat limited our ability to compare behaviors and attitudes from year to year. But with this most recent year, with both our faculty and our student reports, what we really wanted to do was do a deeper dive into what's happening in hybrid learning and higher ed right now. How are students feeling about it? How are they engaging in it? And what can all of that tell us about who our students are, what they need, and how institutions can possibly adapt one of the really interesting things I've found from looking at a baseline look at the results, and you know, you mentioned asking the students, well, do you prefer online versus in person? And looking at, at some of the takeaways that you guys pull out, and again, pulling from some of my personal anecdotal experience of my three uh, college age beta testers who were suddenly forced into some home remote learning. They didn't even, especially my oldest who was already in college and already had had some of these experiences, they don't even really kind of distinguish between the two in the way that as an old fogey like myself is like, well, I'm online now. Like we're having a conversation <laughs> online and then that maybe I'll, you know, I'll see you at Educause next month in person. And I'm like, well, here we are in person versus online. In their brains, that's, that's not even necessarily a distinction, right? Right. Yeah. In some ways, they're always online all the time. Right. And that's part of the distinction that we've had to make. There's, I don't know that there's really anything like a truly face-to-face -face course experience that is completely devoid of technology or some kind of online component. So that to ask students about a purely face-to-face on-site course doesn't really make sense anymore. There's always going to be some component or components to each course that's going to be online, that's going to be digital or technology enabled. And so getting a little more nuanced in the ways we ask them, well, when you engage in this type of activity specifically, 
is that something you like to do when you're in the room with the instructor and with the other students, thinking about that synchronous style of engaging in that activity? Is this something that you'd rather do from the comfort of your own home, on your own time, on your computer? So trying to get a little more nuanced in what we're looking at and helping institutions adapt in some of those same nuanced ways and understanding how to structure these course offerings and, and their students' learning experiences. Well, and then as I continue to further date myself, I th think about writing about MOOCs as one of the kind of the <laughs> original technology innovations at MIT probably 10 or 15 years ago. And then that MOOC concepts, again, was forced upon students. Anything from the results is saying that idea of one-to-many, watch a lecture, flipped classroom, MOOC style. Is that something that has come and gone from your research? And is something, as you said, you talked about being more nuanced. I guess the technology tools have now become more sophisticated where that really isn't something that's going to fly anymore. We didn't ask specifically about MOOCs or, or something like that. But I, I do think in general, for a lot of the students, I would even say in some cases, um, de depending on the activity for the majority of students, their preferences and needs are in some of those same ways, very, you could say traditional, not very sophisticated or innovative beyond just, they want to be in the room with their instructor when, when the instructor's lecturing, for example, or if they're engaging in a group activity, the majority of them want to be in the same room with their peers when they're working on a group activity together. So I, I think in some ways their needs and preferences are very familiar to us. They're very traditional, very simple. I think what's maybe different or new is and we, we've all experienced this over the last three years with the COVID pandemic, we've gotten this experience with flexibility yeah. and we've learned, oh, you know, we, we don't always have to do things a certain way, or we don't always have to be in the same room for a meeting or for an activity. It is possible to do it from home or from the beach or wherever you are. And perhaps even more importantly, that flexibility that we've discovered benefits certain students and certain faculty and staff in some really important ways. I think we've become more aware of some of the equity considerations surrounding that flexibility, that flexibility can allow some students to engage more effectively maybe than, than they had been yeah. previously. So there's, there's a big section in the report focused on accessibility. And so we had a, a series of questions for students who identified as, as having some sort of disability or impairment, whether it's a learning disability or a sensory impairment. And we, we did see some pretty significant differences in how they prefer to engage in their courses and how that flexibility, when it's available to them and when they have the choice and how they engage in their course activities, how that can positively impact their course experience. It does seem yeah. like the idea of that flexibility they had the expectation of that flexibility now too, and maybe as a result of the past several years, but the idea of student agency in terms of how they select to engage. So maybe while they prefer to be in that group setting on that particular Thursday, they can't for whatever reason, but they don't necessarily want to lose out on what that experience is. So it's like, well, record it and give me the transcript and then I'll follow up with that and put it through. And if they don't have those options, from, it seems from the report, is that that's something that is, is a frustration. That's exactly right. You may have a student who strongly prefers on-site experiences. They want to be in the classroom with their instructor, with their peers, 
but knowing that they have that option, knowing that they have that flexibility because life happens. You get sick, maybe you're, you're caretaking for a parent or whatever it is. To know that you have that option, that flexibility, I think goes a long way in helping students with their stress, their anxiety, their mental well-being. And I think the, the other thing we're seeing with this year's survey is students are distinguishing between what they themselves prefer personally, whether it's just for convenience or just style. Hey, I, I really like to be in the classroom. They're distinguishing between that and what they see as an ethical imperative to offer choice and options. See, we had just the, I, I think the slight majority of students in general preferred certain course activities to be on site, but the vast majority of students also expressed a desire for the instructors to make choices available to all students. So there's that, I know what works for me, but I also know that that may not work for other students. And and I, I support that. And I think that, that our course design and the ways we engage in learning should support that as well. And you mentioned uh, talking about students with disabilities and impairments and how they're significantly less satisfied with their technology supports and experiences. And maybe, again, I, I continue to catch things in pre-pandemic versus post-pandemic, but maybe that was something where they just before they were given these additional tools and say, wow, I'm actually much more effective participating in classwork when it involves me participating remotely versus in-person. If someone maybe has social anxieties in terms of in-person conversations that they can participate here. What about those learning modality preferences there? Is that something that the tools have been there and they just haven't been used? Are they now using new technologies? Talk a little bit more about, it seems like that's a really interesting aspect of the results. I think even just asking students that question to begin with is an advancement. My sense of it based on this year's survey data and what we've seen in some of the previous years is that a lot of those tools, a lot of those technologies have have been available, but maybe they've been confined in a certain program or in smaller pockets of the institution. I think what's different now, right, is that that we're we're seeing more systematic institution-wide implementation of some of these tools and, and technologies. And so there's a really big push or desire now for more faculty development and training and the use of these tools. Where, whereas in previous years, some faculty may have had the luxury of, you know, I'm going to teach in the modality that I'm comfortable in. Right. This um, is the way I've done it hey, for, for 30 years. And that's... Yeah, yeah. And, Exactly. Or, hey, I'm a really forward, you know, te- technology focused instructor and I'm going to dive all into online because that's what I want. And so you'll see in some of our previous data, we'd asked a lot about previous use of these modalities or previous engagement in these modalities was really predictive of current and intended future use. So you you, you do what you're comfortable with. I think it, at least for some institutions, faculty may not have quite that that same luxury now. And they're, they're having to adapt to some of these new tools and technologies in ways that maybe they didn't have to previously. And the, the good news is, and, the, and this is tying into our faculty report, I know we're, we're talking about the student report primarily, but one of the encouraging things that we found in our faculty report is that the faculty really are motivated by what their students need and what's going to be best for their students. Even in those modalities that they're not really comfortable with, or that they feel a little resistant to, if they know that it's going to benefit their students and that it's 
of value to their students, then that's what they want to do. Then I think it's just a matter of equipping those faculty and making sure they understand the most effective way to use those tools and technologies. So I, I think that's going to be a big area of growth and development for institutions is yeah. um, not just bringing faculty along in terms of support and buy-in, but bringing them along in terms of capabilities and the training and tools that they need. What would you say were your biggest surprises coming out from the results? I mean, some of the key findings seem to me like, well, yeah, this, this kind of seems obvious. If a, if a student's living off campus, they might lean more towards online activities versus that, that kid who's in the dorm who wants to get out of that dorm room and get into a classroom. But were there any any sort of things coming out of it where it's like, wow, that was kind of unusual or interesting? So I'd, I'd say the first thing that really struck me or, or stood out to me in the data was the power of choice. And that variable we have there where we ask students, are your instructors giving you the choice of how you engage in these different course activities, which modality you're engaging in with these activities? And just how that variable, that single variable correlates so positively and so powerfully with some of the other measures of their satisfaction with their course experiences and some of the other uh, hybrid course related measures. So that's something that came out pretty loud and clear from our survey that I think is going to be worth further exploring and discussing with our faculty and our IT and technology leaders and thinking about how they can structure some of that choice and allow for some of that choice within the confines of what they're able to do and what's possible and what's feasible for the institution. So that's the first thing. The second thing I would say, and this is, it's very obvious and and, and you alluded to this, but it's still, it really stood out to me and struck me that the importance of the internet. And I'm sure you're, you're thinking, well, duh. And everyone listening <laughs> is thinking of, of course the internet matters, but it, it, especially as we look at what's happening around higher ed right now, People are talking about the enrollment cliff, declining enrollments, declines in the perceived value of a college degree. And I think the role of the student as a consumer in the education marketplace is going to become even more important moving forward than it is today. So when you, when you look at something like internet quality and, and you think about the fact that in a, a number of other studies that have been done, internet is at the top of the list or near the top of the list of the amenities that students need and want when they're looking at housing options. So when you consider that, when I'll you consider, <laughs> right? absolutely. Yeah. And when you consider the, the increasingly diverse options that students have available to them in terms of where they're logging into to do their learning and even the types of programs or places or organizations they're going to for their learning, the, the importance of understanding those obvious, quote unquote, needs that students have as consumers, as human beings who, as we were saying earlier, are always online. Yeah. Even when they're not. <laughs> so it, it was an obvious finding, but it, it felt like we needed to really surface that and emphasize that point for institutions. Hey, this is an amenity that is only going to increase in significance for the students and what we heard in the survey again, and we've heard this the last several years, um, there are important areas of student life where they are really dissatisfied with the quality of internet and their ability to access and get online. That's not unimportant. Yeah. Now this generation of college students just continues to fascinate me and it, it actually encourage me because 
they're so self-aware about their own learning journeys. And you talk about being consumers, they're painfully aware of the costs and the, yes. the, the potential debt that they're putting themselves in, the investment that they're putting into uh, what they want to do. And again, and you're right. I mean, they're living online and unless you have solid state always on access, they're not going to stand for it. Right. We could probably be a little kind of laugh at it a little bit or be a little cheeky about it, but a, a student who's paying tens of thousands of dollars to get their degree and they can't get online to play Grand Theft Auto every night in their dorm room. There's they're doing Bobby. that equation in their in their mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm going where the bandwidth's better. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I knew the toughest part of this conversation would be to end it. We could go on. There's there's so much data in here, and there's so many different multifaceted ways that our listeners and our our, our readers uh, can really kind of gain out of this, but. Talk about where you see the horizon in two or three years. I mean, we're talking about this current generation of coeds in four years. There's going to be probably even more of a demanding audience uh, coming into to this crowd. But, you know, kind of extrapolate from what you got out of this and where you see the state of play of learning modalities uh, in the next two or three years. I mentioned before this idea of the the looming enrollment cliff and and, and at the same time, we know that institutions have an opportunity to serve more and more what you might call non-traditional students. And so institutions may be growing into spaces like lifelong learning or credentialing, micro-credentialing for adult learners at, at different stages of their career. And so that the, there are these other avenues of education that I think are going to increasingly open up to institutions. And part of what we try to emphasize in this report is that those new audiences for institutions, th there are some locational implications for those new audiences. You're, you're looking at single parents, students who are, who are married and have a job. I think these differences between different student populations in terms of how they like to or want to or need to engage in learning, those differences are, are only going to become more important over the next few years as institutions learn how to adapt to these different audiences, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, I, th I think different audiences will bring with them different technology needs, different modality needs. And so what we've learned over the last few years is that we can be flexible when we need to. And I think what institutions are going to continue to realize over the next few years is that need for flexibility is not going to go away. And so we're, we're out of emergency response, and now we need to think about long-term how to adapt to these things, how to express these things through institutional policies, staffing, how your institution is organized. I, I think this demand for flexibility is, is a long-term thing that institutions are going to have to adapt to. And ultimately, maybe it's just a perverse benefit that came out of the... Uh you know, the shift and the you know, the pandemic pivots that institutions had to make just to, as you said, come out of survival mode. Now we use those tools and they become standard state. So Mark, thanks again for, for your time. We could talk about this stuff in person at, at Educause in Chicago this month. We could try some different modalities in terms of having <laughs> our conversations. I love that term. That modality. sounds great. 
Yeah. And uh, I look forward to, uh, you know, digging in even deeper to your work. And once again, appreciate the work that you do at Educause because it's a benefit for not only the institutions themselves, but ultimately the students. So great talking to you. Well, thank you, Kevin. That's why we're here. That That's what, what we hope to do. So I, I appreciate that, Kevin. And that's a wrap for this month's edition of Innovations in Education. I hope you enjoyed it and hope you subscribe for future episodes. This episode of Innovations in Education is brought to you by Renkus Hines. Quality audio is crucial to create a productive and engaging learning environment for students. And professors should be able to focus on teaching, not troubleshooting complex technology. At Renkus Hines, their hassle-free loudspeakers consistently deliver crystal clear audio to every corner of the classroom, ensuring every student hears every word. Elevate classroom engagement and learning outcomes with a Renkus Hines sound solution. Learn more at RenkusHines.com.